pastors here at, at present. Uh, we are so thankful to have you. Uh, if you're new here, uh, welcome. I, I invite you here. Thank, thank you for, for coming. Uh, would love to get to know you better. If you want to know more about the church, you can fill out a, a, a Connect card either at the, at the back desk or um, you, you could also uh, go online and, and find a Connect card there. Uh, and we can get you more information about the church. The best way to do that, though, is just hang out and, uh, and hang out with the people here before or after the service. They, they have the best information about the church uh, for, because they are the church. But I want to welcome you. Uh, many of you have come in with different problems, different issues. Some of us we sang about uh, come in ashamed uh, because of our sins this past week. Or we sang about the deep love of God, the love of the Father for us. And, and, and he, he sent his son so that, that, that you might be set free from your sins. So we're going to go to him in prayer right now and ask that you join me as we pray and seek the Lord to bless our meeting this morning. Father, we do come to you as pilgrims and strangers who are here, but this is not our final home. You have given us this place, and, and we're thankful for it, and we in, enjoy living here, and, and we ask that you would help us to see that uh, what we experience now, in, even in its darkness and even in its, its blurriness, is only a dim reflection of what will be as you are making all things new. We approach you with every confidence because of Jesus Christ. We come before you as your dear children. We thank you for welcoming us in, for showing us the sort of hospitality that we do not deserve and that we often fail to show to one another. We praise you for the the work that Jesus has done in our life to bring us in, to bring us to a place where, where we're fully loved, fully accepted, even though we're fully known. We give you great thanks and praise for all of these things. God, we know this is, none of this can happen, none of this welcome can happen without the gospel. We sing about you being a holy God who demands justice, and you demand justice from us. We have sinned against you, holy God, infinitely holy God. And yet, what you have done for us is to supply the very thing we need. Holiness in Jesus Christ. A holy love. And we thank you, our great God. Who would have thought of any of this? Who would, who would have thought that, that this very thing that was demanded of us, would be supplied for us by God himself in Jesus Christ. We come before you with hearts that are anxious and nervous and afraid, but we come before you as children to our Father. And we ask that you would open up our minds to behold Jesus Christ, to see him in all of his beauty. Calm us this day by your love we pray, by your welcome of us. God, we ask that you don't just do that for our assembly this morning, 
you would also do that for our partners in the gospel. We thank you that we partner with other churches in this city and in this state and in this country proclaiming the good news. So we pray for Grace City. We pray for Seth Trimmer as he preaches the gospel that it would go out and you would be proclaimed and glorified. We pray for Calvary Community Church. We pray for Christ Central and Calvin Presbyterian and Westminster Presbyterian. We thank you for our partners at Hub City in Albany and Mission Fellowship in Salem and Canby Christian and Canby and, and Saving Grace Church and Trinity and Edgewood Bible Church. God, we thank you that these brothers and sisters are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would give them great grace as they proclaim your name, as they believe you, as they need you to meet with them and, and show them great love. We pray that you would be with us this morning as well. God, we do pray for our nation. You have told us to pray for those in authority over us, so we we pray for our President Biden and Vice President Harris. We ask that you would help them to govern in a way that is good for your people and pleases you. God, we pray for the country of Haiti and the turmoil that they're experiencing even now. God, we ask that you would help those Christians who are living in exile there to be outposts of your love. Would you help them as they, as they show hospitality to one another, as they welcome those who are not like them, as they live in real danger right now? I pray that you would surround them with your love and your power. God, and we do ask as you meet with all of them that you would not neglect to meet with us. Father, we, we pray that you're, by your spirit you would come and stir us up to love and good works to honor your name, and to be calmed by your love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, a rock and our redeemer, and the one who welcomes us. Amen. So we're, uh, we're in a series called the One Another series. It's called Life Together, Living Out the One Another Commands. And, and uh, we are taking that little phrase from Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book, and, and we're trying to apply it to our lives. And, and we're taking out the One Another Commands of the New Testament, and we're looking at them. We're just pulling them out of, of each of the New, Tes New Testament passages and, and looking at what it looks like for us to, to live like Christians, like Jesus wants us to. So we've looked at love one another from Jesus' command in John 13. And we've also looked at bear with one another. Davey preached his last sermon last week as he was on his way to Portland, moving, he and Anna moving to Portland. And uh, you, know, you know what we're looking at is a section of 59 passages, one another passages. There's 59 of them in the New Testament. And the New Testament, and as we pull them out and look at them, we're, we're, we're seeing the New Testament is telling us that we do not live the Christian life in isolation. But it also teaches us that we do not live the Christian life only as a part of the universal church. We are meant to live the Christian life with a people that we can see, local, visible, people you can, you can touch and hug and talk to face to face. 
we've experienced what it's like to talk to people but not be face-to-face -face this past year, haven't we? With Zoom and, and all of the other mediums that we've chosen to stay in contact with over COVID. And they've been great, but there's nothing quite like being in contact with one another. And these one another passages are, are telling us how we can do that as a body of local people visible to one another. By definition, you cannot live out the one another commands alone, right? You can't, you can't bear with one another by yourself. You need someone else to do it. You, you need someone else to, to live life together with. And that's what the one another commands are telling us. And, and really what we're doing in this series is holding up the one another commands and, and seeing what they show us about what it's like to live life together as a church. And show us the value and necessity of committing our lives to one another in church membership. So membership in a church is not like membership at a country club or a big box store. It is, it's more like a membership in a family. In fact, it's just what God has called us to in the Bible. The family of God. He's called us the very family of God. So I want to ask you to start out, where are you most at home when you're not at home? Where, where do you get the kind of treatment that makes you feel welcomed and loved and accepted? I experienced uh, this, Bridget and I experienced this when we first moved to Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, we, were, we were eager get to, to get to know people in the church so we invited a couple named Angie and Jeremy McMorris over to our house for dinner. And I, I don't remember what we had for dinner or if the house was clean or not. But I do remember sitting down with Jeremy McMorris on the couch, on our, our couch, and him looking me in the eye and saying, so what's your story? What, I, I want to hear all about you. Tell me, tell me everything about you. Bridget and I had invited Angie and Jeremy into our home, but Jeremy was inviting me into his life. And in one sense, we were exiles from the Northwest living in a strange land, which was not yet hospitable to us. But our friends made us feel so welcome and at home and loved, and for that I will forever have fond memories of Greenville, South Carolina. And though we were from different parts of the country and have different parents, the McMorrises made us feel like family. They made us feel like we were their people and that they were ours. That's exactly the kind of thing 1 Peter is calling us to in its command to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So if you're not there, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's going to set some context, a little bit more context, and then, and then we'll dive into the passage. In 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, remember we learned a lot about him in the book of Mark. The Apostle Peter uh, was one of the ones who was closest to Jesus, an old salty fisherman, right, who, who became a follower of Jesus. And he denied Jesus but was restored, and, and, and he has learned quite a lesson. And after Jesus restored Peter... Peter begins a ministry to Christians. And part of his ministry is a writing ministry. So Peter is writing mostly to Gentile people in 1 Peter. So it's non-Jewish people. It's people just like us. 
unless I don't know you, maybe you have a Jewish background, but most of us in here, I think, are Gentile people. They're non-Jewish people. And these friends were living in Asia Minor, which uh, is modern-day Turkey. So Peter is writing to some Christians who are dispersed throughout modern-day Turkey. And they are suffering persecution for being Christians. Peter is writing to these brothers and sisters to encourage them in their suffering. He reminds them that the various trials that they are experiencing will only last for a little while. And that there is a grand purpose for these sufferings. He says it in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, so that the tested genuineness of their faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the whole purpose. You're going through sufferings. You're going through trials. It is meant to test the genuineness of your faith that it may result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way he encourages them is to tell them about their great salvation that they have in Christ. You can see it in in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that uh, Peter tells them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is meant to encourage these Christians that as you suffer, you are actually suffering as people of God. With an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. There's no way that not even the suffering can take this away from you. This is indeed a great salvation. So he talks about these Gentiles as people of God. He he talks about them in Old Testament language. He calls them the elect exiles in chapter 1, verse 1. In chapter 2, verse 9, he calls them a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He has said, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So friends, they and we are the new family of God because of the work that Jesus has done. Because of the work that God has done through Jesus. And as God's new people, a new family, experiencing some of the same things that God's old covenant people were experiencing, they experienced exile. When they came out of Egypt, they wandered around the wilderness and experienced what it was like to be strangers and foreigners in in an inhospitable land, inhospitable places. They weren't welcomed everywhere they went. And like Israel, they were also given covenant commands Covenant commands which highlight the holy love of God. Peter tells them they are to be holy as God is holy. But not just that. that These holy lives do not lead to to priggish self-righteousness or a self-righteous holiness, but a holiness that leads to true and genuine love. And he says in, in chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, what should you do? What do holy lives lead to? What does it look like to live a holy life? Does it look like being straight-laced and and, and a jerk and never having fun? No. It looks like purifying your souls for a true, sincere, brotherly love. Love one another earnestly with all your might. 
from a pure heart. You notice the family language. This is family language. This is a brotherly love won for us by God himself. And he says this in chapter 2, verses 22 and 21 and 22. For to this, this holy, to this you have been called. Holiness in the midst of suffering. You've been called to holiness in the midst of suffering. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. You know, God's people not only suffer, you know, suffered inhospitable places right out of Egypt, they also suffered uh, exile. After they came into the promised land, they were, they were actually taken over. Samaria and it went into Assyrian captivity in 722 BC. Jerusalem fell to, to Babylon in 586 BC. <clears throat> and this new people of God were exiled, much like the old, people, old covenant people of God in the dispersion of the first century. The persecution of Christians, you know, you read about in Acts and some first century literature like in Josephus, that, that persecution spread the gospel. It spread the people of God and the good news to various parts. And these Christians got spread out into a place like Turkey, Asia Minor. But as they got spread out, you know, even, even in God's old covenant people in exile, they were, they were given laws about how to treat people when they weren't at home. Because God's people has, have always known that it, what it is like to be a foreigner in a place that is not quite home. God made a rule. He said, to treat sojourners and foreigners when they were in the promised land, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall not treat that stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. So now, Peter tells his new exiled people of God that they too are supposed to be hospitable. Because the end of all things is at hand. So we're going to read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. And we're going to focus on, on 1 Peter 4, 9. Alright? So the U-Haul is packed. All right, that was a long introduction again, but I felt like we needed to, right? We just, uh, we just had about 10 of us pack Davy and Anna's U-Haul. We packed it all up, and we packed it full. We had to leave one thing out, uh, but we got it, and, and, and they're on their, they were on their way to Portland yesterday. Now, we're packed full, right? With all this context, U-Haul is packed, and we're going to make a quick trip through 1 Peter 4, 9, and we're going to focus on this command what does it look like to love one another is to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So we're going to look at the reasons, the meaning, and the result of Christian hospitality. The reasons, the meaning, and the result of Christian hospitality. But first, hear God's word. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
with respect to this. They are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's holy word. So the reasons for Christian hospitality, I, Peter spells them out here in verses 1 through 11. So we're just going to walk through them quickly. There's, there's seven, at least seven reasons why we are to participate in showing hospitality to one another. So reasons for Christian hospitality. We see in verse 1. That Christians are supposed to show hospitality to one another without grumbling because Christ has suffered in the flesh. Because Christ has suffered in the flesh, we are to arm ourselves in the same way of thinking. The same way Christ armed himself in thinking. Because he suffered in the flesh, we are to do the same. Not just suffer in the flesh, but the, the way and the reason why Christ suffered in the flesh. That was to welcome you. He had to give up his perfect life in place of yours so that you could be welcomed by a holy God. Christians are supposed to show Christian hospitality to one another because Christ suffered in the flesh so you might be welcomed in. Secondly, because love through hospitality replaces a former life of sinfulness. Verses 2 through 4, we, we just read it. He, he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, for the will of God. For the time, for the time that is past suffices doing what the Gentiles want to do. And Peter is saying, look, you guys live for a time in this way. Uh, you're, you're actually, you're no better than the Gentiles that you're, you're separating from now. Uh, you used to do this, and, it, and you did enough of it in time past. So why should you show Christian hospitality? Because this act is replacing the things that you used to do. This is exactly what has to happen in the Christian life. You cannot just put off something and leave a void in that place. You have to put something on. So what, what were they putting on? What did they used to do? They lived in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. And lawless idolatry. These are the things that they used to do as a, a, as a part of their non-Christian life, as a part of their Gentile life, as a, as a part of just living as a, a human being apart from Christ. They, they were involved in all kinds of, of evil, sexual evil, a drunkenness, 
orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And, and, and one of the reasons, and one of the things Peter says to replace that with is Christian hospitality. The, the opening up of your life to other people. The, the third reason is because God is the judge and the gospel frees us from sin through death in Christ to love through hospitality. Because God is judge and the gospel frees us from sin through the death of Christ. And you see that in verses 5 and 6. The people that say, hey, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you going with us? Why aren't you living the way we live? You just think you're better than us? You're just self-righteous? Peter says in verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We talked about, we were saying about this holy God who must judge our sins. Well, he is going to judge. But through Christ, through the death of Christ, through our death in Christ, we are free to love through hospitality. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I think that the gospel being preached to the dead is the gospel was preached to people and they have now died. They, they, were, they are dead. It's not like the gospel is being preached to dead people. I don't think that's what that means. It, it means that gospel was preached to them, they believed on Christ, and, and now they are dead. But being dead, they do live. Because Christ has taken care of their judgment. This is another reason that we are to be hospitable. We display Christian hospitality. But now in the immediate context, in verse 7, the fourth reason he is given is because the end of all things is near. The end of all things is at hand. Christ has come. He has died. He, is, he, is, he, he rose from the dead. And now he's ascended. And, and because of all that, because you live in the time between his first coming and his second coming, you are to show Christian hospitality. The end of all things is at hand. Christians are, are, are meant to be time conscious, using the time that has been given us for things that uh, display God's love in Christ. The end of all things is near, so it is at hand. So love through hospitality. The fifth reason, because hospitality displays our love, which puts Christ on display. Verse 8. Above all things, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. The very next, the very next verse tells us to be hospitable, to, to, to welcome people in, to love the stranger, to love people who aren't like us, because it puts Christ's love on display. To love covers a multitude of sins. It's not, it's not our love that forgives sins or or pardons people. It is God's love that does that. And ours, our love, is, is, is able to cover up those sins in, in a way that doesn't bring them up again to people. Just like from the verse that Bonnie, verses Bonnie read that uh, the, in that chapter, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, believes the best about people. Hospitality displays our love, which puts Christ on display. The sixth reason is because hospitality is a display of God's very grace. It's one of the displays of God's very grace. 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, 
use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The grace of God is, is varied and, 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 and multiplied and, and, and multi-sided and multifaceted. And hospitality is one of the things that puts that varied grace on display. The last reason is because hospitality glorifies God through Christ. In verse 11. In verse 11, he, he says, whoever speaks, excuse me, uh, the second part of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the, those are the seven reasons why. But maybe I should have put this first. What is Christian hospitality? What's the meaning of it all? I mean, those are all the reasons why we should do it, because, because the, the end is near, be, because it puts Christ on display, because it shows God's varied grace, and it glorifies Christ. But what's the meaning of it all? You know, the, the, actually, the literal meaning of hospitality, as Peter uses it, is the love of strangers. It's the, the first part of the word is, is, is philo, like, like uh, Philadelphia, right? The, the city of brotherly love. Couldn't have been a more ill-named city, right? Have you ever been there? Have you seen their sport? They boo their own people. They boo their own teams. They throw snowballs at Santa Claus. But that's not what Christian hospitality means. It's the, it's the love of strangers. That's the literal meaning. It means friendliness to strangers, to people that aren't like you, to people who are foreigners or, or sojourners in your town. Christian hospitality is making people feel at home <coughs> when they're not at home. It's a welcoming in of people who are not necessarily like you. It is a, it is a, a treating them as if they were your people, like the story I told at, at the beginning. My friend Jeremy treating me like I was his people before he even really knew me. Think about it, though, from the opposite definition. That's the positive. What, what about the negative side of it? What is, is the most inhospitable place on earth, right? You think of, I don't know, I, I'm probably off here, but like something like Death Valley or like Siberia, Russia or, or Rubbish Island in Belize. There's literally the foundations of the island are made out of trash and junk. So these are some of the most inhospitable places on earth, and all, all for different reasons, but why are they inhospitable? Because they don't promote life. They don't promote the things that take to, to live well and healthy. These, inhospi these places are inhospitable because they don't have the necessary physical elements to support life, for life to flourish. But th there's more than a physical element to hospitality, right? There, there's also a mental or psychological element to hospitality. Imagine what it's like to go places where you're not welcomed be, because of how you look or because of your accent or, or because of the language you speak. You know, that boy ain't from around these parts kind of a thought. Christian hospitality is not that way. It's an end-time ethic that welcomes regardless of similarity. Peter tells these Christians that they are not to act like that. That boy ain't from around here. They're not to act like that. They are to be marked by love, which welcomes people who are not like them, who are 
strangers. They are to have the kind of hospitality that was shown us in Jesus Christ. You can read about hospitality like this. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And, and whether you give your house key out to everyone you meet or not, the, the idea is that you are welcoming people. The gospel helps you welcome people as your people. It helps you welcome people not as, not, not as uh, people who don't belong, but as people who do belong. And friends, this was, this was very pertinent in their day and, and cities because Christians would often be displaced. They, they'd be traveling. They'd have no place to stay. And Peter is saying, hey, you, there are people left out in the streets. Invite them into your home, especially the Christians. And if this happens among you in your assembly, this should never happen among you in your assembly, that someone is out in the cold because they're Christians. And Peter is applying the command to the local assembly first. So before you can think about being hospitable to people you don't know, you must first display hospitality to your family, the church, through this one another passage. Show hospitality without grumbling. It's not inviting people into your house begrudgingly. Well, I, you know, Peter said and Doug preached on it, so I guess I'll have these people over, but I'm not going to enjoy it, you know. Uh... I'm not going I'm, I'm, I'm to uh, go out of my way to make these people feel uh, welcome. No, Paul, Peter, excuse me, is telling us, God is telling us through Peter, don't do this grudgingly. Don't set aside money in your budget to have people over grudgingly. Do it freely. Do it willingly. Why? Because you yourself have been welcomed in by Christ. This is a, an end-time ethic, friends. One of the ways you show that you, you know you're living between Christ's first coming and second coming, that you know he is going to come at any time, is if you're hospitable without grudging. But if you take care of the family down the street while neglecting your own family, you are a fool and not showing love. So this first applies to us. To one another. You know, some negative ways this happened in the Old Testament uh, were, uh, you, you can read about it in Judges 19 and, and uh, in, in Genesis 19. Uh, as people, tra angels were traveling and then, and then uh, one, one of the priests were traveling. They were left out in the city and uh, they had no place to stay. And they were welcomed in, you know, Lot welcomed some of, some of them in. And then uh, one, of the, one of the Jewish people welcomed in the, the priests. And, and the people of the city came and, and they were inhospitable. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted to abuse these visitors in the city. And that's one of the main reasons God judges those cities is their inhospitality. There are other things going on there. But God thinks of hospitality so highly that he would destroy a whole city because of the inhospitality that's displayed to these sojourners and strangers. So what of us? What, 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 of, what of our church? 
How are we showing hospitality to those who are not like us? But what about you? Are you, friend, going after people in this church that you don't know? When's, when's the last time you introduced yourself to someone you don't know in this church? I, I know it happens. I see it happen a lot. But just, just to think about your own, your own life. When's the last time you welcomed someone in like Christ welcomed you? Not asking them to clean up first. Not, not asking them to get it all together. To like the same things you like. When, when's the last time you invited someone in? It, it does happen in this church. I, I see it all the time. But I'd love to see it more. I'd love, to, I'd love for people not to feel like strangers when they came in. Why? Because we were strangers. We are strangers and pilgrims sojourning in this land. Friends, that's the meaning of, of hospitality. But what are the results of Christian hospitality? Well, the results are, are three results. Christian hospitality lightens a dark, inhospitable world. Friends, we, we live in a world that's going to be recreated. It's going to be everything it was meant to be. It's going to be better than Eden. It's going to be perfect, and it's going to be, it's going to be light, and, and Jesus will, there will be no sun because Jesus will be the light there. And Christian hospitality is just a little spark of that latter day. Christian hospitality, when you welcome strangers, when you live an end-time ethic, when you, when you invite them over for lunch or, or you invite them into your life, it is a little spark <coughs> that lightens a dark, inhospitable world. It shows that Jesus Christ has changed you and is going to change everything. Secondly, the, result, the second result of Christian hospitality is that it encourages a living hope. That we read about that earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we display Christian hospitality, in the, in the way that Jesus talks, in the way that Peter talks about it here, in, in the way that Jesus displayed it for us, it encourages people to have a living hope. It displays, it puts Christ on display and his love on display. And it encourages people to have a hope that's alive. Do you, do you remember a time when you were invited in? You know, maybe it was like when you were in high school and, and everyone wants to be a part of the cool kids club, right? You want to sit at the cool kids table. Uh, when you were invited into a group that you had always wanted to be a part of. You, you, or, you know, or you, maybe you never wanted to be a part of that. That's fine. Whatever group you wanted to be a part of, right? It brings you hope when people open their lives to you. Because it's, it's displaying something greater than just a commonality we have here. It's, it's displaying a, a life that goes beyond. Christian hospitality lightens a dark and inhospitable world. It encourages a living hope. And lastly, it expresses an earnest brotherly love. That's exactly the verse that precedes this command to show hospitality. Above all things, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. 
with, with earnestness. You know what it's like when someone is earnest about something, right? I, I recently started attending a gym, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Some of you already know, but friends, these people are earnest about working out. Let me tell you, they're way more earnest than me. I, I mean, you're, I know you're shocked, but uh, it, they are earnest about working out, and they do a good job of it. They, you, you know someone like that who is earnest about the things that they love. I was earnest about basketball growing up. Uh, my girlfriend's mom gave me a shirt that said, uh, basketball is life. The rest are just details. It's kind of messed up, right? Like, my girlfriend's mom knew what I was all about because I was earnest about it. Uh, you, and you know people like that as well. One of the things that Peter is commending to us is that we love one another earnestly, in earnest. Do you love in earnest? It, it, are you earnest about this Christian life? Then Peter says, love. And what does it do? It covers a multitude of sins. Like I said before, this isn't a, a pardon. Our, our love for people doesn't pardon people from their sins. Sometimes it covers them up. Have you ever needed your sins to be covered up? You said something stupid. You've, you misspoke. You were inhospitable. You were unkind. And, and instead of, you know, just brushing it away, someone says, I, I forgive you. You know, it's fine. Someone doesn't bring it up again. They keep no record of wrong. They don't delight in evil so they can point at little, a little a chest bumping with the finger. They rejoice in the truth. This is what brotherly love does. And it is shown best in hospitality. It expresses, hospitality expresses earnest brotherly love. So let us invite people in to our lives, brothers and sisters. Now, just a few points of application. We'll be done, okay? I promise. That how can we show Christian hospitality? Just a few things. Start by being hospitable here. Start by being hospitable here. I asked it before, but when is the last time you initiated a conversation with someone you don't know? Or, or maybe you have something between someone else in this congregation. Maybe you just don't like that person, or they said something, or they did something. Let love cover a multitude of sins and initiate a conversation. Be like my friend and say, I just, I want to know your story. I want to know your life. Maybe we'll even explain some of the things that are, are hard for you to receive. Start being hospitable here on Sunday mornings. Come early. Stay late. Uh, I, I would just encourage you, friends, to 15 minutes early and, and stay afterwards and talk with people. I, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that, uh, but I, I, think, I think it could improve our hospitality as we stay around longer. Love one another more. Go up to people. If you find yourself cloistering in the same group of people all the time, branch out. Branch out and, 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 and find someone you don't know and ask their name. Ask them about themselves. Have you ever met anyone that doesn't like to talk about themselves? I mean, everyone does, right? 
Come early, stay late. Now, hospitality usually involves food. I get that. We think hospitality, we think, okay, I got to provide a meal. There's something to that as well. Having a meal with somebody, breaking bread together, eating a meal together. It's a way to get to know somebody. In, in ancient Near Eastern culture, it was a way to say, hey, look, I approve you and accept you. I love you. It's not quite that for us today, but it's more like that. And I think when people think hospitality and they think, man, I'm just not, I just, I don't have the budget for it. I'm budget conscious and that's just not going to be a part of my budget. Brother or sister, I want you to please reconsider that mindset. If you think that. But it is okay to budget time and money for this. It's okay to set apart time in your week to think about who are we going to have over today? Or who are we going to invite out to a meal? Or who are we going to go to the park with? And it, it is okay to budget money for this. Think, think of this as, listen, if you, if you only have a, a small amount of money, think of this as, as giving to God's people. I'm going to buy a meal for this person. This is, this is part of me giving my money to God. Friend, when we are hospitable, we are displaying Christ's love in a way that even the watching, even the world outside can see, man, those people really love each other. They really love each other. Now, I, I just want to commend you. I, I think we are a hospitable church. I think I love the way I see you brothers and sisters in, engaging with one another in hospitality, having each other for a meal, going out to coffee, getting lunch together. But what are some ways that we can improve? What, what are some ways that we can invite people into our life and share our life with them? That's hospitality too. What are some ways we can open up? What, what are some ways we can just, just let love cover a multitude of sins and, and have a clean slate and don't keep a record of wrong? Let us think of all of these ways as a way to display Christ's love. This is an end-time ethic that God has for us, brothers and sisters. This, is, this, this shows that we are we're living in a way that we know that our holy God, our loving Lord, our almighty God, our Savior is coming back. Hospitality shows all of these things. It's a light in a dark world. It encourages a living hope. It, it expresses an earnest brotherly love. Let us, brothers and sisters, display our Christian hospitality as the Lord gives us strength to do it. And may he be pleased as we do. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would use this sermon and in this series to, to show us what it's like to be members of your family. That we're inviting people into our lives. Strangers. For we were once strangers. We, we were once a people that were not a people, and now we are a people who have, who have your mercy. So I ask that you would display the gospel through us as we display our hospitality. Show your love, Lord Jesus, through us obeying these commands. We'll give you all the praise and the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Every week.